Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. seats. It's just so awesome to be in the presence of God here tonight. Amen. I, I don't know about you, but I'm just sensing God's presence very powerfully in this place. And and uh, I am very excited about the direction this meeting's going. Uh, and it's just lining up with what's on my heart to share. And uh, I really believe that what I'm going to share with you tonight is probably going to be one of the most significant messages I've ever preached in this church. And uh, and, and I'm, what I'm feeling, it's like, it's the last night uh, kind of thing, but the Bible says the first shall be last, or the last shall be first. And uh, so I kind of feel like this is, it's not the last night, but this is like, this is like the detonator night, if you know what I mean. Uh, I really believe that, that something explosive is about to happen, and uh, I'm very, very excited about it. I can't wait. To, <laughs> I can't wait to see what God's going to do. I always sense His presence in this place. It's just, it's, He's here ready to break loose. And uh, I'm excited. Amen. Hallelujah. You know, uh, I've shared bits about myself, my own life over the weekend and, and other times that I've been here. And, and uh, I just kind of feel to share just a little bit more because I feel tonight's a, a convergence night. It's like everything that I've shared comes to tonight, if you know what I mean. And uh, this is the, what tonight is like. This is what I was just picturing just as Ross was annou- announcing to come up. It's like just imagine you are running down the footy field and you are coming towards the, to the, towards the touch line and someone throws you the pass. And you're about to catch the pass. What you do with that ball? You can take it over the line and, and score. And I just feel like I'm going to throw you the pass tonight. And uh, so get ready for it. Amen. Hallelujah. You know... Uh, I've just had an, an incredible life serving Jesus, and uh, it's the best thing that you can do. There's no, no better life that you can live than a life lived serving Jesus. And, uh, you know, uh, growing up, in, born in New Zealand, and uh, I, was, I was saved when I was seven, baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 16, and I got this passion for the presence of God. And, and I've loved the presence of God my whole life. And, uh, and I became a worshiper, particularly after I learned how to play the guitar when I was around about 18 years of age. And uh, I just loved to cultivate the presence of God in my life and spend time in the presence of God and, and uh, became a real lover of His presence. And, and uh, you've probably heard me share before too on my journey how my mother was just so much into the miraculous and, and uh, supporting ministries that were into the miraculous. And I caught something of this in my spirit and uh, believing even from a young age that God's a God of miracles. So I just continually just just went after his presence, believing when God turns up, things happen. And, and, uh, and of course, that led to 1988 where I had this encounter with God where he, he it was the call of God on my life, I believe. That was the, the dream I shared with the leaders last night, how I stood before God at the end of my life. And I said, hey, God, here's my life. And he looked at it and he said, oh, that's, that's all right, but this is what I had for you. And, and there was a, it was kind of like that was the ignition. It was like I knew there was something more I had to go after. I knew I had to pay the price. I knew I had to press into God. And, and uh, it, it led me to coming to Australia at the end of 1988. And by 1990, 
I was in, in full-time ministry um, at what's now Hope Center there. And then 1993-94, I went through Strike Force Ministry Training Institute, which uh, it's, it was a Bible college, but it was more than a Bible college. I thought it was better than a Bible college because it was, it was, it was an impartation college. It was kind of like you got taught the prophetic by prophets. You got taught missions by missionaries. You got taught evangelism by evangelists. And, and, you just caught, and I just caught things in my spirit when I was there and it just it packed stuff into me and and uh you know I did two years in in Bible college I had opportunity to go on and do three years and I looked at all of the subjects that were there and there was only one subject that really uh it really caught my heart and that was revival uh, and I just kind of had a passion for revival that had been brewing and stirring for years and I was I just wasn't content with a church that was ordinary uh, I, I, you know, you just want to see God move. I wanted to see the Holy Spirit break loose and, and, and pour out His Spirit in a significant way. So I, I studied revival, and, and, and then in 1996, um, God started to change the direction of my ministry. I was involved in all sorts of different ministries in our church, and then God basically started closing the doors in 1996. And, uh, and I was getting to that point. I was saying, where's this all going? 97 was a funny year for me because I was on staff without any portfolio. I was just kind of doing this, doing a bit of evangelism stuff and doing worship and a bit of preaching and a bit of this and that. But, um, and then it was in, uh, later that year that I had the opportunity to go to the revival in Pensacola, Florida. And for me, that was like an ignition. It was like, it was a catalytic moment in my life. I caught something in the revival and I, and I brought that back and, and it ignited something in our church and it ignited something in my ministry. And from that point, my ministry just exploded and took off and I ended up uh, getting invitations over to New Zealand, over to Malaysia. And that's just kind of started steamrolling and snowballing and, and uh, God was moving, particularly in those first three years, everywhere that I preached, the Holy Spirit just brought broke loose in an incredible way. It was, it was that season. It was a revival season. There was such a hunger for revival around, and it was just such a joy being an instrument in God's hand, preaching revival in a revival season. And uh, every church I preached in, 95% or sometimes 100% of the church would be out on the altar. Some people, you know, getting saved over again, just, just God did something, you know. Everyone wanted more of God. Everyone wanted to, to push in for something more, and, and and it was just significant, and the Holy Spirit moved so powerfully in those days um, that the the presence of God was just awesome, and the, the the prophetic used to just flow so so all the time. Every meeting it was just it was just getting sucked out of you because everyone was so hungry, and the supernatural miracles of all the people that came out, everybody got powerfully touched by God somehow something significant happened in every life and it was just amazing and and uh you know around about 2000 that whole kind of revival move of the spirit of God sort of took a different turn you could say it 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 lost its kind of that you know all that it just kind of wasn't quite the same but, but God started showing me. I was like, God, what's happening? I thought this was going to be the last great revival that was going to lead to the return of the Lord, you know. Why, why is things sort of dying down? And why are churches now kind of not into revival so much? And, and God started showing me around that season that it had been a ready, set, go thing where God had been preparing the church. It was like, get ready. And then there was a whole lot of 
uh, around 2000, there was a whole lot of shifting taking place and movement amongst leadership in different churches and, and churches getting sort of ready with programs to disciple people and all this. And then right just after 2000, I felt God saying, it's go. And, and the churches that then went after the harvest started growing quite quickly and, and God started moving. Other churches that just wanted to kind of camp around the 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 river, so to speak, they just sort of got smaller and smaller and things broke down there. But, but God kept on uh, just pouring out His Spirit for a great harvest of souls. And, and I just went after that and I just kept preaching, preaching for, for souls and miracles and, and breakthrough. And, and God just took me to the nations. And, I, and had an, it's just, you know, I've been to 50 nations now and it's been really exciting. I shared also last night how in 2005 I had another sort of shift point. And there's those things happen in your life. You get these moments. You get these these encounters, and they they kind of they they rocket you on. It's like boosters in your in your life and your walk with God. And and uh, for me, 2005 was one of those in the in the conference in Sydney, Australia, with Tommy Barnett, our national ACC conference, where he preached on multiplication. And he said, "If you want anything multiplied, shout it out." I shouted out souls and miracles at the top of my lungs. I thought that's all you really need to go after. If you're going after souls and miracles, God will take care of everything else, you know. And uh, so I shouted out souls and miracles, and and I felt like I stuck my fingers right into the power sockets of heaven and this divine download started to take place I mean it was so awesome I didn't want to cut it off I didn't want to break it off I stood there even though they closed the meeting they told everyone to get out of the building and most of the people left the building except about half a dozen including me because I just wanted to get as much and suck as much out of that encounter with God as I possibly could and that was when God spoke into my spirit five million souls and I, and I just said, I stood there, I just, and you can imagine getting five million souls thrown at you. I just said, God, I don't know how to do five million souls. I mean, that's a big shot. That's Reinhard Bonnke. That's Benny Hinn. I, I don't know what to do. Uh, you're going to have to show me what to do. And I kind of just put it on the shelf. And then God began to open up doors in Africa. And, and things started steamrolling over there. I first went over there in 2006. And we had some crusades. And it was pretty awesome. And then 2007, I went back, did a couple more crusades, connected with other evangelists. And, and uh, God just started giving me the strategy for equipment and all that. And then I went back again. In 2008, started taking teams and also, you know, I had some encounter, some some times with Reinhard Bonke. I was with him in Lagos, Nigeria. I went into Orlando, Florida, spent two days there, and uh, just got impartation from that man of God. And and uh, God just kept packing stuff into me. And, and then we started doing those those crusades, and and we had quite a momentum going up until 2012. And and um, you know, and then we had the accident, and things kind of changed. It, it kind of blew my head. I was like, how can this? We got such a momentum, and I kind of look back even over the last few years, and if I'd kept going at that same momentum in the last three years that I wasn't in Africa, I should have seen about uh, 150,000 salvations in that just in that time that I wasn't there. So I, it made me scratch my head, you know. I was like, God, why, why did that all kind of fall over? But then God has sort of just got an amazing way. I, I, in fact, I looked at it like the pruning of a tree. You, you prune a tree and then it sends out branches and those branches kind of lead to a whole lot of other things, right? And um, it's led to this incredible whole lot of doors opening up in Asia, particularly Singapore, India, now Myanmar, which I'm believing is going to be a huge harvest field. And, um, you know, Africa's still kind of on the back burner. We'll get back there um, again sometime and uh, see what God does with that. But 
you know, our life, we've got this journey in our life, but it's an exciting journey with, with God's hand. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And, and, and every single one of you has been on a journey with God that has brought you to this point today. And this church has been on a journey, and it's just such an honor and a privilege to, I think it's the only church that I preached in every single year for the last 15 years. And I think there's something significant about that, and it's been a real joy for me to share your journey. And just even remembering right back the very first time that I came, the stage was around this way, and, and you know, and God did something really significant that weekend, and, and just to see God continue to grow this church, and, and uh, it's exciting to be part of that. And, and so we've all got a, a, a journey that and it's brought us to this place at this time. And uh, I was sharing with the men on Saturday morning about the Bible talks about two different types of time. It talks about chronos, which is the general order of time, which is just time ticking along. And we've all been going along on our journey of time. And uh, some of us are feeling like our time is going too fast. How many people think your time's going too fast? It's kind of, and the closer you get to the end of your time, the, of course, the faster it feels like it's going. And, and uh, so there's that chronos time that just keeps on ticking, ticking. But there's the kairos And uh, the kairos is the strategic or the right time. It's the opportune point of time that something must be done. It's like it's a window of opportunity. Now Webster in his dictionary describes opportunity as a set of circumstances providing a chance or a possibility. It's a stroke of good fortune which presents itself and can be either grasped or lost. Now, this kairos, I believe that we're in right now, is not a stroke of good fortune, but it's a divinely appointed moment. And it's a moment to be grasped. And in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 to 17, the Bible says, Be very careful how you live, making the most of every opportunity, understanding what the Lord's will is. There's an opportunity that's presenting itself right now, and it's an opportunity, I believe, of a lifetime. And it's been said that an opportunity or the opportunity of a lifetime must be grasped within the lifetime of the opportunity. You know, at the beginning of the 20th century, Smith Wigglesworth, that great man of God, who, who they call him the apostle of faith, the man who just, who, who just did so many phenomenal miracles, raised 14 people from the dead, but, but has been um, respected for his prophetic words, particularly concerning the last great move of the Holy Spirit. And I want to share that with you. This is what he said. He said, Australia, you have been chosen by God for a great move of the Holy Spirit. This move of God will be the greatest move of God ever known in mankind's history and will start towards the end of the 20th century and move into the 21st century. This move of God will start a great revival in Australia and spread throughout the whole world and usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ. This will be the final revival before the coming of the Lord. That's a pretty phenomenal word, isn't it? And it's something that's had its spark. It's already had its beginnings back at the end of the last century. In fact, uh, for some of you who, who are Hillsong regulars, and I know I've been to Hillsong with some of the team from this church several times, and I enjoy the fellowship there with them. And, and uh, you know, a couple of years ago, Hillsong had 
um, their conference and called it, this is revival. They said, this is, they actually quoted this scripture or portions of uh, this prophecy or portions of this prophecy. And they were claiming that Hillsong is the great revival coming out of Australia. Now, I know Hillsong is a great move of God. It's got over 100,000 converts around the world now. And its music has probably impacted millions of Christians around the world and is a significant thing. But I believe there is something more to it than that. And I believe that the greatest move of God is going to be a very powerful and supernatural move of God. And we ain't seen nothing yet. Amen. You know, when Smith Wigglesworth's prophecy, when it's relayed via Lester Summerall, in other words, Smith Wigglesworth shared it with a few different people. Sometimes he emphasized a few different things. With Lester Summerall, he said this, I see the last day revival. It will be the greatest revival this world has ever seen. It's going to be a wave of the gifts of the Spirit. I see hospitals being emptied out and they will bring the sick to the churches where they will allow the Holy Spirit to move. And I see every form of disease healed. Nobody will be able to count those who come to Jesus. No disease will be able to stand before God's people. It will be a worldwide thrust of God's power, God's anointing upon mankind. Isn't that awesome? I mean, I just want to, woo, yeah. It just makes you want to praise God, eh? And just to know that we are perched right here. And it's right in front of us right now. And, you know, historically, I was talking to your pastor. He's probably already shared this with you. But historically, we have a revival in in the world about every 20 years. And so we're due a revival. The last revival sort of started around about early 90s. Around 94, I think, was when uh, Toronto broke loose. Pensacola was 95. And and that kind of took a a few years. It went for about seven years predominantly. There's sort of ripples of that going around still. But, but, um, you know, we haven't really had that significant revival since that time. And uh, so we're looking at about 22 years later now. Uh, We are overdue a revival. So I believe that we are sitting right here with revival in front of us, ready to break loose. We're in a Kairos moment right now. And how many people would agree with me that there's been a shift? You know, and I'm hearing you saying, I'm hearing, hearing Ross talk about there's been a shift in the heavenlies and, and we've entered into a new season. And it's not a time to just be poised and waiting, but it's a time to press in and to realize what is happening and to lay hold of it. It's a time to run with a history-making move of God. Amen? You know, something I noticed about the Pensacola Revival, I mean, I, I went there, but I also watched a lot of the DVDs from there, and I watched the DVD of the very first meeting there. And, and I didn't think it was that extraordinary. But the pastor embraced it. And that was the difference. He'd been praying for revival. And because it was a, it was a great meeting, don't get me wrong, and God moved in a great way. But you look at it and you just kind of go, really? That was, the, that was the beginning? But it was something in the heart of the pastor. He said, let's run with this. God's doing something here. Because sometimes you can have a one-off meeting in a church and God breaks loose. And then that Sunday night, oh, great, you know, and then just back to life as normal. But they didn't go back to life as normal. They just embraced and ran ahead. And uh, so I want to just give you some quick, some keys um, just to grabbing hold of what it is God's put in your hands and what it is God's about to do. Amen. Number one, 
we need to cultivate the atmosphere. Cultivate the atmosphere. We know that God inhabits the praises of His people. Praise and worship smells good to God. I reckon praise and worship to God smells like chocolate cooking in the kitchen to you and me. You know, when someone's cooking chocolate cake or chocolate muffins in the kitchen, it makes your juices flow, doesn't it? You are drawn into that kitchen and you are looking for something. Or maybe it smells like Chanel number 5, which is supposedly one of the great perfumes in the world today, one of the most expensive. But I actually looked online today and discovered there's there's a perfume called um, Clive Christian Imperial Majesty. Isn't that quite neat? Sounds really good. Christian, doesn't it? Clive Christian, Imperial Majesty. It's $215,000 per 16.9 ounce bottle. <laughs> That's got to be a good smell. And uh, so, so maybe what, what that perfume smells like to some men is what praise and worship smells like to God. It gets God's attention. It draws God near. In fact, one of the... Uh, one of the definitions of worship is drawing near to kiss. That's what worship means. It means you're drawing near to kiss. And something really amazing happens when God comes near and kisses what we are doing. Heaven invades earth when that happens. Heaven breaks loose amongst us when that happens. You know, all, all the revivals around the world seem to have their songs and... and um, you know, they kind of become songs that are associated with those revivals in history. Um, you know, like the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, which is very significant with the revival back there. And I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But, um, you know, uh, all of these songs, it's, it's, it's not just the song, but it's, it's how we sing the song. And it's singing the song, really believing it and living it and imbibing it. And, and, and then as we sing, we, we, we wait expectantly for God to respond and God responds. And uh, how many people know something's happening in your worship lately? In, in Bayside, see, God's, God's doing something. And, and, and I believe the atmosphere that, that is being stirred up. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it's the story there of King Saul who had disobeyed God and the Spirit of the Lord left him and evil spirit came and tormented him. So his, he, his advisors said to him, you need to get someone who can play their instrument well. It says in verse 17, play their instrument well and uh, it'll soothe that spirit that's tormenting you, you know. And, and one guy says this, he says, well, I know somebody, excuse me, I know somebody who, uh, who's like that. It's, it's David, son of Jesse. And, and it says there, he knows how to play his instrument. There's two interpretations. One of it is um, skillfully, but the other one is cunningly. And I like that word that's used. He played his instrument cunningly. In other words, he was able to create or manipulate the atmosphere. He was able to rout that evil spirit that was tormenting Saul. It's not like Saul just, uh, you know, when David played, he didn't just play nice. And, and, and the evil spirit went, ooh, I, I don't like that nice music. I'll, I'll, I'll go. No, it was like he, he cultivated an atmosphere for the Spirit of God to move. And God, God inhabits the praise of his people. And the Spirit of God came in and just booted that spirit, a big one, in the butt. And the spirit left, you know. And uh, that's what happens when we, when we really embrace 
worship and praise and realize we're in a season and you keep pushing it and you keep pushing it, something starts to happen. You start pushing out the evil and you start pushing out the negativity and you start pushing out this restrictive atmosphere and you usher in a presence of faith and freedom and the power and the moving of the Spirit of God. And it happens in our corporate life, but it also happens in our personal lives. And, and uh, if we all uh, start stirring up our praise life, our, our personal praise life, and, and, and getting into God, uh, something starts to happen. And not just what comes out of our mouth, but the way that we live our life. Because praise and worship is not just in the words you sing. It's the way you live your life. And you're living your life with love and grace and everything. And you're creating kind of a, you, you're, you're, it's like God just likes to hang out with people like that. And then something happens, particularly when you come together. Um, when you spend time in the presence of God, you get pickled, right? Look, when I, when I came back from Pensacola, the song, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, was very, very significant for me. In fact, even before I went to Pensacola, that song was speaking to me. I remember being in New Zealand, uh, I think it was the year before or earlier that year, and uh, someone played the song from Pensacola. And when I was sitting in the seat in the church, when the song was being played, it sounded like, it felt like about half a dozen people got around me, laid hands on me, and prayed all over me that song. That's what it felt like. It's like I just felt the anointing and the, and the words of the song just so came into my spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you because He's anointed you to preach the good news. And, and it was just kind of like I was just getting blasted by God through the words of the song. And, and, and when I went to Pensacola, uh, every time they played that song, I got smashed. I really got smashed. And, and one time particularly, when, when this guy laid his hands on me, he put his hands on my head just as the song started to play. And I just got so smashed by God. And, and so when I came back from Pensacola, I brought the song back with me. Uh, I brought the CD. And, and I used to play that CD in my car every day. Or every time I went to preach. I played all the time. In fact, when I got back from Pensacola, I, played, I, I had my friend pick me up from the airport, took me to my house, and I said to him, Ernie, you've got to hear this song. I put it on my CD player in my lounge room, and I went in my kitchen to get a glass of water. And when I went in the kitchen, the power of God hit me in the kitchen while the song was going. And I grabbed my stove. I was shaking. I could barely stand up. And, and I went back into the lounge room. I said, Ernie, I've got to pray for you. And I laid my hands on him. And whack, he got hit by the power of God. Hit the ground. Wow, he was bawling his eyes out and everything. And, and he, he straight off after that went out to Europe and planted a church in Greece. And he was there for like 12 years. And now he's in the Philippines. And he's been in the Philippines for three years. And he's been opening lots of doors. So I went nine times to Greece, which was a bit of a drag. And, uh, but I'm... <laughs> I'm going to the Philippines now, um, you know, I've been there about three, to, oh, three times since he's been there, but more times, but, but uh, so, and this song, hey, I used to put it in my, in my CD player in my car, and I would drive to churches to preach, and before I got out of my car, I would always make sure that that song was playing the last bit, and, you know, I'd just tick it, and, and, and I'd sit there, and I'd wait until the song's finished, and then I'd get out of the car, and I'd walk into the church, and sometimes I could feel myself shaking I could feel myself loaded I was like packed with this sense of power and, and it was awesome uh, and God just wiped out those churches I mean people were getting blasted just touched them like this and like I was punching them in the head they were flying all over the place and stuff was going on you know and uh, so this 
presence of God. I continued to cultivate the presence of God. I shared with the leaders last night how I, I had this habit every day. I'd sit in my wardrobe with my guitar and worship God and just cultivate his presence. About an hour and, and I'd you know, pray some bits and, and cry out to God and declare things and just have a good old God time in my wardrobe. I had a big wardrobe. And uh, probably not actually quite as big as the war room. So when you see the raw room, that's a little bit bigger. Um, well, the, se- the other ladies, the, the second ladies one, you'll understand when you see it. But, uh, but yeah, so I used to spend that time in, in my wardrobe. And, and then my mate said to me, you know, because they, they heard God was doing some great things in the ministry. And they said, hey, can you, can we pray, can you pray for us? I said, come on over. They came over and I said, look, uh, before I pray for you, let's worship God. And so I got my guitar and I just did what I did in my wardrobe every day. And I just, I closed my eyes. I sang three or four songs. I was just kind of having this time with God, not thinking it was anything extraordinary. But I thought I'd open my eyes, look around the room, see where the other guys are, and then go lay my hands on them and pray for them. But to my surprise, when I opened my eyes, everybody else in the room was flat on their faces, weeping and shaking in the presence of God. It was like a bomb had been dropped off. A God bomb had been dropped off and they, and they got wiped out by it. But I, but I hadn't noticed it. Why? Because I'd got used to it. I'd been cultivating that presence of God in my life every day. And it's something about cultivating the atmosphere, cultivating the presence of God in your personal life and your corporate life, and God is going to bomb it. Amen. <sighs> Number two. Contend for all that God has for you. Contend for it all. In in Matthew chapter 11 verse 12, the Bible says, Heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Now that has been misinterpreted that heaven is under attack by bad people and and they're trying to destroy heaven as if they could. But a proper interpretation, a better interpretation says that from the days of John the Baptist until now, the heaven, the spirit, sorry, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful people lay hold of it. Forceful people. See, passive people will not lay hold of all of the things that God has got for us. You can't just be passive. You can't sit there and say, God, do it if you want to do it. You know, it's kind of like, oh, whatever. See what happens. I'll come along. Oh, you know, I'm not going to really get too radical or pushing or anything. I'll just see what God does and, and kind of leave it all up to the sovereignty of God. And, but it's about pushing in being passionately aggressive and going after our inheritance and going after everything that God has got for us. You know, the Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 1 to 3, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits, who forgives all of our sins and heals all of our diseases. In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and He went around doing good and healing all all who are under the power of the enemy or under the power of the devil. In Acts chapter 5, it talks about the apostles doing signs and wonders. There are many signs and wonders happening at the hands of the apostles, even such that they would bring the people and lay them out on the streets so that when Peter walked by and even his shadow fell upon them, and when his shadow fell upon them, they were healed. And it goes on to say that um, many people from all over the, the towns around brought those who were sick and, and afflicted by demon spirits and all of that, and all of them were healed. All of them. 
you know, through 25 years of praying through this for the sick, I've seen thousands of people healed in one form or another. And, and I could probably rattle off a good, good number of stories to you. But there's a lot of stories I forget because they just get lost in the fog of so many after a while. But I, even though there's been so many, I've got to be really honest with you, I am immensely dissatisfied. That's a funny thing to say. I am, I am satisfied with a dissatisfied satisfaction. Because until they are all healed, there is more. Until my shadow heals the sick, there is more. Until the works that Jesus did, I do also. And greater works that I do than what Jesus did. I was in the Philippines middle of last year doing some um, hope and healing festivals with my mate. And we were, one of the, one of the festivals, we, it was a, they have like these covered basketball courts. They call them a covered court. And, uh, and it's open-sided, but it's just got a roof over and, a, and the stage on one side. And they play the basketball there, but they also do kind of events there. And, and so that's where I was doing these hope and healing festivals in covered courts in a couple of different towns. And the second town that we did one in, uh, by, we had Friday, Saturday night there. By the Saturday night, we had this thing, the thing pretty much full. And, uh, and it was just awesome. God was doing stuff, people getting saved, people getting healed and that. But the Sunday night, we couldn't get there. And so we, had, we couldn't get the covered court. Some other thing was arranged there. So we had to go to a local church. Now, the local church was smaller than the area of the court. And, uh, and so, but still the people came. Truckloads of people came. Literally, they came on trucks and uh, started squeezing into this church. They jammed so many chairs into this church. And, and, but the, that wasn't enough. And they had chairs outside the church on the, on the grass and all that as well. And, and uh, it was actually my last night in the Philippines. And uh, I was preaching about the woman with the issue of blood. You know how she went and touched the hem of Jesus' garment and got healed. And, and, and it was just a great sense of the presence of God, a great faith in the place. But I was catching a plane really early in the morning. I had to get up about 4 o'clock in the morning. And, and uh, I thought, if I go and lay my hands on everybody here, this is going to be a very long night. And uh, so I just thought, Jesus, how can I do this differently? Um, and I got a revelation. It was like, well, Jesus said, the works that I do, shall you do also. So I thought, well, all right then. So I said to them, look, I'm not Jesus, but this is what Jesus said. And uh, so there's so many of you here tonight. What I'm going to do is I'm actually just going to walk up the middle of the church. And if you want a miracle, if you need healing in your body, touch my hands. Touch my arm. Just touch me as I walk past. And I've got to tell you, it was one of the... One of the most awesome moments of my ministry. As I started to step, as I just started walking up this aisle, people just started hitting the deck and wailing. And, and, and it was just like Holy Ghost mayhem as I just started walking up the thing. And then people started grabbing my arms. And as they were grabbing my arms, I was literally feeling healing virtue going out my arms. 
I could feel it. It's like, whoa, whoa, that person got it. It's like, ooh, ooh, I felt that. It's like that person got something. Ooh, and it was happening like this. And then, and then sometimes there was there was the joy. Some people were getting the joy, and, and as they got the joy, I could feel the joy go through me. It was like, like, and as it went through me, I'd laugh. It was like I just suddenly got this little giggle, or laugh. I burst out laughing, and it went out, and they got it. It was just awesome. It was like an incredible impartation and release of God's power and presence. And, and, and there's more. Amen. And, and we can keep going for these things. And we can keep pushing into God and believing God to do greater things in and through our lives. And, and we don't need to just kind of be sitting back going, Lord, oh, Lord, if it's your will, please heal us. I mean, of course it's his will. It's his will to heal. It's his will to save. It's his will to save your loved ones. It's his will to bless you. It's his will to set you free from anything that's got you bound up. God's will is to do you good. Amen. Number three. Is that all right? Number three. Final point. Command it into being. Number one, create the atmosphere or cultivate the atmosphere. Number two, contend for all that God has for you. And number three, command it into being. You know, when Jesus was asked, how do you pray? How should we pray? He gave us what we've called the Lord's Prayer, right? Right there in amongst the Lord's Prayer is is a sentence that says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, that whole bit there, the, the, it, this your will be done, your kingdom come, it's in the imperative tense, which means it's a command. Okay? Now, we don't command God. It's not, it's not for us to actually tell God what to do, right? So we don't command God. But what are we doing? We come into agreement with God's word and we speak it. We command it into being. We speak out the realities of heaven into earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because in heaven the will of God is always done. But on earth the will of God is not always done. And so what we've got to do, we look at what's on earth and we go, hey, this is not right. There's no sickness in heaven. Well, what's the sickness doing here? So we command the sickness to leave so it's like as it is in heaven. No sickness in heaven. The blessing is in heaven. And we see poverty here. That's not right. So we can command the blessing, command the poverty to go. So we start commanding. We start speaking out. Amos chapter 3, verse 7. God does nothing lest he reveal it first to his prophets. Now you might go, well, well, what does that mean? Do we have to wait until somebody who's got, you know, this kind of funny outfit and a leather belt comes in with long hair and a gray beard and starts going yea verily thus saith the Lord okay you can do this now no what is it talking about when it says God does nothing lest he reveal it to the prophets who are the prophets the prophets are people who hear and come into agreement and then speak forth God's word and and so you can in a sense, be a prophet, a prophet when you get a handle on the revel, on the word of God. When you when you take that that it's perhaps a logos, it becomes a revelation. It becomes a rima. You take it and you speak it out and you declare it. You speak out that promise of God. You declare God's promise in the situation, and you are prophesying. And when you are prophesying, then God can do it. Because he's been waiting for someone to speak it forth so he can do what he wants to do anyway. Isaiah 55 verse 11. So shall my word 
be that goes out from my mouth, it will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. It will not come back void. When, you, when God's word goes out of his mouth. Now, you've got to understand something. Where's God's mouth? We are God's mouth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, says we are Christ's ambassadors. And God is using us to speak to you. God speaks through us. Okay, And as an ambassador, we are given delegated authority to speak on behalf of heaven. Just like an ambassador speaks on behalf of the country, we speak on behalf of the kingdom of heaven. And with what we say lines up with God's word, then we have got all of the creative power of heaven to see to it that what we say comes to pass. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 4, verse 17, speaking those things that are not as though they are. And so what we do, we just we don't look at what we see and, and, and keep talking about our problems and t- keep talking about our obstacles. We start declaring what is the way it should be, how it is in heaven. We speak it out. We declare it. We speak out the light. And, and we keep on speaking and declaring God's word and God's promises until the things that are in front of us start changing and shifting and aligning themselves up with God's word and his promises. Amen. Job chapter 22, verse 28. You will declare a thing and it will be established for you. In other words, what you say is what you get. So... Keep speaking life into this move of God. Keep declaring it to be so. Keep speaking it out. It is harvest time now. It is revival time now. Now is the time for God's blessing, for God's provision. Now is the time to build. Now is the time to move forward. Now is the time to keep going and stepping, commanding mountains to move, commanding sicknesses to go. It's not about asking Jesus to do what he's already told us to do and what he's given us the authority to do. He's given us authority over all of the works of the devil. We take that authority and we assert that authority and we speak it into being. Amen. You know, all revivals, can I have the musicians come please? All revivals start somewhere. They start somewhere, but not everybody experiences revival. And I don't know about you, but the last thing that I would want to hear is about the last great revival that happened somewhere else, and we missed it. I'd be gutted. I'd be completely gutted to hear the last great revival. Oh, it's happening. It's happened. And, And we missed out on it. I couldn't stand that, you know. I don't know about you. I'm challenged by, by Esther's famous challenge. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from another place. And who knows that you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to keep silent. I'm not going to sit back and be pushed into the corner and told we can't have a revival. I am. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.